Well, there's nothing little about this. <laughs> this is really a, um, a warm environment and one of the most vital places we've found where devotees are gathering together and uh, cooperating, cooperatively developing spiritual life. So we're really happy to be here and have been thinking about it for a while. And really nice to meet all of you. Hare Krishna. I first offer my respectful obeisances to my spiritual master, His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, and to all of you, because you are Vaishnavas and therefore are the most worshipable in the three worlds. Hare Krishna. Yeah. Is this the recommended drum? I didn't take a look. Seems fine. (laughs) (laughs) So, the the process of kirtan, otherwise known as sankirtan, kirtan comes from the word kirti, which means to glorify someone. And Sankirtan means to do it together. <clears throat> this is a system, age-old process of communion with our original divine source, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In the science of Krishna consciousness, the name and the named are the same. Of course, there's many ways in which people look for the divine, and some may be more difficult than others to the processes to execute. It is said that so a person looking for water, very thirsty, and then someone says, you can get it in that cloud there. Help yourself. There's plenty of water. So it, also we might say, oh, God's in heaven, but how are you going to reach heaven and where is it? And someone also might say, but through the process of mystic yoga, you can find God within your heart. But that process recommends very restrictive kinds of living styles in order to spend years and years of contemplation. It's kind of like when someone says, I need water, and then I'm offered there's water in the ground you can dig for it. And if you dig for it, then you can make a will. But with the process that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught for reaching the divine, this chanting process, it's like water in the palm of your hand. You can drink it any time. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that there's no time or place restriction for chanting. There's no prohibition who can chant, who can chant who can't chant this maha mantra. It's an open mantra for everyone in the world. And those who <coughs> know the science behind the, the mantra understand that there are higher and lower vibrations in this world. The ancient Upanishads say, Anyadeva hura sambhavad, anyadahura sambhavat. 
That one result is attained from listening to transcendental sound vibration and a completely different result is obtained by listening to material sound vibration. And they make a distinction, that is, the Vedas, that there are high sounds and low sounds. And the Vedas say, Anavriti Shabdat, when you listen to the transcendental sounds, you can become uncovered, liberated, and you can come to understand everything about your relationship with Krishna. By listening to lower sounds, then one's mind becomes agitated. So the process of bhakti yoga has to do with filling up the ears, which appear to be very small, but inside it's like the sky. It's unlimited. What's more, the, the sound vibration that goes in stays in. So it's important in the process of bhakti to be careful what you let go through these ears. Once in our neighborhood in the Bay Area near San Francisco, I was walking and I noticed that all the storm drains there had a little placard and it says, no dumping drains to bay. And it has a picture of a fish. Because whatever you put in the storm drain ends up going down into the San Francisco Bay because water seeps its own level. And as I was walking and thinking about that, I considered how my ears are like those storm drains also. I should have a placard right here. In fact, we visited a tattoo shop today. <laughs> But the guy told me I had to wait a year to get his tattoo. Not that I was... We went to visit to give him a Bhagavad Gita. But, but if I did get a tattoo, I'd put a, a little placard right above each ear that says, no dumping drains to bay. Because whatever we allow to go in the ear, then drains to the bay of the heart. And the heart is like the driver of the body. The body is considered to be a chariot. And the driver is the heart. And we're in the heart also. And so, considering that if, if we don't like what we're being subjected to in life, then the Vedas say, change the subject. We have free will to change the kind of vibration that we listen to. That's part of the process of Bhakti Yoga, is really reforming one's environment, refining it so that one subjecting oneself or treating oneself to a higher type of sound vibration. And it makes all the difference in the world. If you've ever been in a situation where you're listening to something or watching something that agitates your mind and makes you furious about events in the world that you can't do anything about, has that ever happened to anybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That happened to me one day. I was watching it. I was going, well, why are you watching it? Okay. <laughs> a little voice in my head. What's your problem? Why don't you just turn it off? And the, it sounds like such a simple thing. But sorting out all the ways in which I'm exposing myself to various kinds of sound vibration or being deliberate about taking in spiritual sound vibration is really the consideration of those who are on the path of bhakti. In fact, one of the great teachers of Bhakti Yoga, Rupa Goswami, who lived 500 years ago, he was a direct disciple of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, wrote a little book about Bhakti. And he said in the book, Tanama Rupa Charitari Sukirtananu Smritiyo Kramena Rasana Manasini Yoga. 
Tishtambraje Tanaragi, Tananugami, Kalam Nayed Akilamitu Padesha Saro. In Sanskrit, Saro means cream, and Upadesh means <coughs> advice. So he said, Now I'm going to give you the cream of all advice. And that is, organize your life around the principle of hearing transcendental sound vibration. Because just by that, if you very deliberately put yourself in front of transcendental sound vibration, which my spiritual master once said, God helps those who help themselves means, helping yourself means putting yourself in front of transcendental sound vibration. I'm preaching to the choir here, because you're all here. But that is the, the essential point, or the sarum of advice, the cream of advice. Somehow or other, put yourself in front of the vibration. Oftentimes the mind is resistant to good counsel or even high sound vibration because of conditioning. In that, in that case, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says the mind can be the best friend or the worst enemy. It can drive us to do things that even we know from our intelligence are not, a, are not good for us. So that also requires good association. As oftentimes, it's hard for me to help myself. Therefore, having guidance from others and companionship from others who are also interested in refining their minds, their consciousness, and reestablishing a relationship with the Supreme, this can be very helpful. <coughs> this is called Sangha. And this word Sangha in Sanskrit, Anga means a part. Like this uh, arm is a part of my body, so it's, it's an anga. And when you, when you connect with other people who are interested in practicing refinement of their lives through spiritual practice, then this is called sangha also, because you connect with them, you become part of them. And in the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is a quintessential uh, writing on bhakti yoga, uh, Kapiladev's says one of the incarnations of Krishna. Satam prasangamam avirya sambhido bhavanti hrit karna rasayana kata taj joshanat ashu pavargavartmani shradaratir bhaktir anukramishruti This word in Sanskrit, anu, means to follow and krama means to step. So one step follows another if you do this one thing, says Kapiladev, and that is satam prasangam you associate with people who are used to hearing high vibrations. Because in their association, you'll hear the kind of vibrations that will enter your ear like medicine. It's called Rasayana. In, in Ayurvedic medicine, there's a kind of tonic that you take that invigorates all your, the cells in your body, and this is called Rasayana. Different kinds of medicines are administered according to the patient's needs, but often we take oral medicine or sometimes there's an injection. But this medicine is taken through the ear. So the ear is called the karna. And from the karna goes through the hrit, which means the heart. So satam prasangam amavirya sambhido means if you associate with people who are high-minded, who are on the path of spiritual advancement, then you'll hear beautiful sounds. And the sound will act like medicine. It will go into your ear, 
and then will enter your heart. And then it changes the way you move in the world. And this is called apavarga. Because the word uh, pavarga, from the Sanskrit alphabet pa, pa, ba, ba, and ma, indicates the <clears throat> travails of the, the world that we live in. Um, and that is that we're forced to work hard, and there's fear, and then not to be um, <clears throat> too downbeat tonight, but then there's death. <laughs> <laughs> But actually, when one does take it seriously, the idea of death, there's a little sense of forced efficiency in life. If I forget about it and think I'll never die, or death is so far away that I don't need to plan for it or think about it, there's a way in which I may squander the valuable time that I have. But this is the medicine that changes our trajectory. So this pavarga, which means the, the travails or the troubles that I have in this world, are reversed by the vibration, and therefore it becomes apavarga. So in Sanskrit, when you put an A in front of a word, it oftentimes changes its meaning or reverses it. So pavarga, say pavarga, pavarga. becomes apavarga. Apavarga means the path of ascension. You're moving up towards the, the spiritual world. Sound vibrations in the association of others who are aspiring for spiritual advancement. He said, then you can come to the highest position of life and it cha you change from the inside out. Changing the outside first doesn't do much because we always follow what's in our heart. And when the heart changes, then the, our outer world changes as well. Everything <coughs> becomes reformed from the inside to, to the outside. And <clears throat> Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu liked that and recommended in small villages. He said people should just get together and in their own groups, in their own villages, and create this sound vibration, this transcendental sound vibration together through performing kirtan. And so that's what we're all doing here tonight in the um, village of... Are we in Milton? Right here in Milton. Yeah. If you want to move up by 7.2 inches, <laughs> it'll accommodate another 500 people that are on their way here. <laughs> There's plenty of space. We fit as many as 1,000 people in here. I heard. They reinforce the floor. And the, for, the floor we heard is reinforced. But if it's not, we'll just go on chanting. So... Is everybody comfortable? Okay. So the mantra is not an ordinary sound vibration. And th this is, uh, you can put together, put we can put before you in theory, but then you have to experience it for yourself. But the, the Vedas say that the mantra is a special combination of syllables, paramakshara krite which are, what that's called the supreme combination of syllables. Param means supreme. Paramakshara krite. And it's like a formula. A mantra has, there are several analogies for mantra. Mantra is like a formula. 
there's uh, or there's a, there are solvents in this world. When you spill something on your carpet, as an example, then you have to look on Google and find out what is the solvent for removing cranberry juice stain from your what is it Persian Persian rug from your shag. <laughs> 1966 vintage <laughs> shag rug. And then there'll be some suggestion. There is some combination of elements. I don't know what they are. Maybe club soda and something. But it, if you find the right solvent, it will unlock the molecules and let them go. And you'll be able to clean that, that substance or the rug you can remove it. So in the same way, sometimes the mantra is compared to a solvent. There are ways in which various kinds of troubling uh, impulses come into our ears, our minds, and they stain. They're called scars. They leave a lasting impression in our minds. And it's not just from this life. Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita, purva samskar. Purva means previous. That indicates previous lifetimes, because we're all travelers here in this world. And we travel with our, we, we are the Atma, the spiritual self, travels in our subtle psychological body from one physical gross body to the next. And we carry with us these impressions from other lifetimes. And this is a cycle called samsara, it goes on and on, because as Krishna explains in the Bhagavad Gita, Yang yang vapi smaran bhavam tajyante kalevaram tam tam bhava bhavitaha. Whatever one's prominent, predominant emotions are and attractions in one's mind, at the time we leave this gross physical body, that's creating uh, our next body. We're given facility by the material nature to take on another gross body because of that. So purifying the psychological body that we travel in and coming to the state of a pure mind requires some solvent to clear out all the previous um, indelible stains that have come from various encounters and vibrations. They're called vrittis or impulses that we've taken in from the environment through our senses after many, many, many lifetimes. And so Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught from the Vedas that that ultimate solvent. You know, it's like somebody around this time of year, everyone's selling some miracle thing that people impulse buy for a gift or something. It'll clean anything. <laughs> you put it on, this is guaranteed to clean. Well, that, that ultimate su substance is, uh, is this mantra called the Hare Krishna mantra. It, you'll find it uh, that it goes back for thousands and millions of years, this mantra. Thank you. So we wear flowers in bhakti because it softens the heart. And because I have a particularly hard heart, and they like to give me these flowers as quickly as possible. <laughs> Thank you. Aloha. <laughs> you only get them at Hare Krishna or Hawaii? Tip generally. So, Cleansing the heart of, of these impressions 
takes place by this solvent of the, the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. And I was mentioning that it goes back uh, millions of years to the Upanishads. The mantra is mentioned in the Kali Santarana Upanishad. And the, the mantra in its entirety is listed there. And then it says, Kali Nashana Nashanam, that this mantra will <coughs> free you from the, the great troubles and obstacles of the present age. This present age, according to the ancient Bhakti wisdom, wisdom text, has, it's kind of like a, a winter-like age when it comes to spiritual life. There's a lot of obstruction. There's a lot of confusion. People are um, given um, very little time to take to spiritual life and so forth. And therefore, the, the ancient Upanishad, Kali Santarana, recommends that take this solvent. It's, it's the cure-all, especially in this age of Kali Yuga. So that's what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught everyone, to take advantage of the mantra, uh, chant it, and be around that mantra. It's an omnibus mantra. It contains all other mantras. That's why it's called the Maha Mantra. And one can fix one's, if one can fix one's mind on the mantra and spend time with it, either the group chanting or through the process of japa. And japa is a private kind of meditation. We did it this morning here in this room. We sat in a circle and we, uh, we count how many mantras we're chanting individually on beats. And it's a kind of meditation that involves listening to the sound of the mantra. And um, it's, a, it's a very edifying experience because oftentimes in our lives, <clears throat> um, or I'll speak for myself, I find myself helpless in various uh, circumstances. And in fact, if I think about it deeply enough, I might consider that in all ways I'm helpless. I'm really dependent right now, for instance, on my heart beating. And I have no say about how long my heart's going to beat. I, I depend on my intelligence, and I have no clue about how long that will be provided to me or when, when it will come. If I consider carefully, my breath is coming right now, but really, I'm being offered that facility, and it's temporary. It's, it's, it's a... It's a gift that I'm given, and I don't know how long I get to keep it. If one can, one can um, <coughs> understand the context, in this context, one's dependence on the higher power, on the source of life, the source of my very life, is coming to me uh, by grace. And then uh, repeat the mantra in a way that I'm calling out and asking for service and out of gratitude, appreciating all the gifts I'm being given. It's a, a kind of communion, immediate communion that one can have at any time with the Supreme, as I said before, like drinking water from the palm of your hand. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught this, these two methods, that is group chanting like this, and he also taught this system of japa. Japa means the private meditation that you do and listening. If if you uh, want to remember the word japa, everyone say japa. japa. You can remember that you use your jaw and your paw to execute, because you use your paw to count on the beads, japa. That's from Hanumat Prashak Swami, one of the funniest people alive. So, why don't we, um, why don't we have some kirtan? But before we do, we'll just take Three reflections, 
Reflections are, are just repeating back. It's not a question. It's a repeat back of anything that you heard so far from the monologue that's stuck in your mind. One concept, word, phrase, anything, an idea that I've mentioned so far from the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that you uh, would put in your pocket and take out the door. And if someone grabs you down at the end of the driveway and says, what was that guy talking about in there? It's the one thing that you would say at this point. Yes? The entryway through the ears goes right to the heart. Yes. The entryway for the ears. These passageways, whatever you put in here, it ends up in the bay of the heart. <coughs> and so, essentially, we're all containers. And you consider the word content and content. It's spelled the same way. Whatever we contain in these containers is the, the way that we'll view the world, because we don't see the world the way it is, we see the world the way we are. And so much of that depends on what kind of content we have inside. This is the great science Krishna mentions in the Bhagavad Gita. And so, one of the main points I made was whatever sound vibration we subject ourselves to or whatever we allow into our ears, that will be our content and that will determine our contentment. Thank you, Shastra, Prabhu. What other reflections do you have? Anything that you heard that stuck? It's an exercise when you do this, so feel free to jump in. Yes. Oh, you're doubling down. Okay, go ahead. Well, I just like hearing, especially knowing what you did in November, the importance of association and uh, being with like-minded people. And um, just taking it a step further, when you go to the holy place, the sinful reactions are left there, and, the and then the advanced devotees come, <coughs> and they take away that sinful activity. So great souls like yourself rejuvenate yourself by going to the holy place, but more important, just as important as that is the association of like-minded people who have the same goal and same interest in Prabhupada's book. Sangha. Yes, thank you for remembering that. Yes. I like the point you made about how if one doesn't really think of death, they just think, oh, this is some far-out thing, it's not going to happen to me, and you just sort of live... Like, very complacent, just sort of wandering through life with no clear aim or purpose. But if you have that in the back of your mind that that big day is going to come, and it's not up to me when it comes, then like you said, forced efficiency sort of kicks yes. in and we live That's true. with some sort of bigger purpose. Prabhupada, my spiritual master, once said that a transcendentalist thinks I can die at any time, and a materialist thinks I'll live forever. <laughs> What other things did you hear? Travis. Um, medicine is distributed to a patient as per need. And that, that reminded me of a, uh, something that you said this morning about Krishna's special mercy being not necessarily pleasant at the time, but that uh, it's ultimately for our own good. Yes. And oftentimes medicine is bitter, but it's a curative. And in fact, Rupa Goswami says, in the very book I quoted from earlier, which is 
a primer on bhakti. Set Krishnanama Charitari Sitapta Vidya Pitopatapta Rasanasana Rochikanu Kintwavarat Anudilam Kalasaiva Jushta Swadvikramad Bhavati Tad Garamula Hantri. And this is um, advice regarding uh, chanting. So he says that in the beginning, when we chant, oftentimes, because the mind is so strong, we may think that it's not such a pleasant experience because the mind is pulling in various ways. And he says, although the, the name of Krishna is very sweet, I may taste it as bitter. And then he gives this example. When you get jaundice, there's an extra secretion <coughs> of bile in your system. And it makes everything taste bitter. As that turns out, one of the curatives for jaundice is to drink sugarcane juice. Who's had that before? Yay! It's very delicious and nutritious and one of the sweetest things you can have. But when you have jaundice and you drink it, it tastes terrible. And I won't say how terrible it tastes, because uh, we'll try to, this is a family program. Uh, but it, it tastes bad enough that uh, people don't want to drink it. So the doctor says, no, keep drinking it. And as the curative effect takes hold, then you'll start to feel, taste the sweetness. So a similar way, Rupa Goswami assures us that the curative <coughs> process is chanting uh, the, the sweet names of Krishna in the Maha Mantra. He said, but if it doesn't seem sweet to you, it's because you're suffering from a disease called avidya. So the disease of avidya is a dread disease. It means ignorance. Ignorance of our higher self, ignorance of our relationship with God. and That becomes cured by the process of continuous chanting, taking it as medicine. Could we have one more reflection? Yes. Um, that, you know, you mentioned like sun scars. I think. Yeah, some scars. Scars yeah. and scarring um, on the heart from this life and past lives and that the chanting is the solvent yes. for that scar. Yeah. The scar tissue absorbs the solvent to break yes. it down. That's right. We have a psychological body. According to Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita and all the other uh, wisdom texts that describe the, the kind of technology we're given in the human form of life, uh, or any life actually, there's a gross physical body, which is like a biomechanical robot, and then the software that drives it is our subtle body, called our chitta. There's what's called the manas, which is the mind, mind stuff, and there's also the buddhi, and buddhi means the intellect. And these are very, very subtle uh, like software type of um, instruments and th these become infected over time and conditioned in certain ways. When we leave this gross body, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, <coughs> ukramantam stitam vapi bunjanam vagunan vitam vimudanana pashanti pashanti jnana chakshusha. Interesting a choice of words for a death, he says, ukramantam. So krama means to step, and ut means out. So death means you're stepping out of this present body that you have, which is basically, you know, you get this body at birth, and then you start identifying with it with a little help from your friends. Your parents are waiting there with a little name tag, 
You're just a little cosmic traveler. I always look at babies. You know how they sleep so much? Do you ever notice that? I always think of it as extreme jet lag. I mean, you know, when I get off a flight, I'm like that, you know, long international flight, and I'm like, I just want to sleep. And I look at the babies and say, I know, I know what you're going through. You just flew from one body to the next. That's a little longer than a United flight, 16-hour United flight to Delhi. And so we come out of one, one body, and then we're transferred into another body. Utkramantam, you step out of this one physical body, Ukramantam stitam vapi, whichever body you're situated in, you move from that body. Bhunjanam vagunanvitam. And those who don't know what's going on are bewildered by the process. But those whose eyes are trained in knowledge can see what's happening and moving from one, one place to the next. And we take with us uh, the conditioning from our previous lives. So the process of spiritual life is an internal process. It's uh, purifying the mind and the intellect and repositioning us uh, in our real connection with our original divine source because uh, we've actually never left that. It's just that my vision has become obscured. This is described in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Bhayam dvitiya binibesha tasya ishadapi tasya viparya yosmiti There's there's nothing actually but the Supreme. Even this material world is an emanation from our original divine source, therefore it's also divine. But I see two things, and I see myself as separate from the Supreme, and therefore there's fear. Like the fear of, of non-existence. This is one of the greatest fears. In fact, I read a book called uh, On Death and Dying, and it was, here I go again. And it, that, it, was, it was a psychologist who said that actually all of... All of the ways we conduct ourselves in this world are really distractions from the real point of, of to, so we can forget that, you know, I have this temporary existence. And there's a kind of anxiety that's always there behind that. But that gets clarified through the, the process of realigning oneself with one's original divine source through the process of bhakti. So the Ma Mantra has three names of God. And um, today we went around some places here in Milton, or where were we? Oh, we were at Midway. We were at Midway? In Lewis. In Lewis. Was it Midway or Lewis, or we were Midway into Lewis? Midway Shopping Center. That was a Midway Shopping Center. Anyway, we just visited our friends in Lewis, and we, we went around because we heard they were interested in Bhagavad Gita and also in this chanting of Hare Krishna, and it was true. First we went to a movie theater. The lady was bored there. It was a, what is it, a Thursday afternoon, matinee. It's the slowest time of the year. And um, then we went to several other places. And we went into a nail salon. I always go to the nail salons and uh, visit there. And uh, bars, we didn't find one today, but we've gone in bars to teach the Ma Mantra because people are... <coughs> Definitely in a bar, there's uh, a sense of... Uh, Desperation. Well, no, more of the people are very philosophical, I find. <laughs> it's interesting, you know. I find more philosophers in bars than anywhere else. In fact, I, I was in Southern California, and I was taking a, a group of devotees around 
to show Bhagavad Gita in various places because my spiritual master asked me to do that. And then I, I approached a bar and there were several of us, you know, dressed like monks and, and there was a man taking a breather just outside the bar and he saw us coming and before I could even open the door he just handed me a $20 bill. And I asked one of my colleagues, what did he do that for? And he said, well, he felt a little guilty <laughs> that he was hanging out here because he's probably... And, you know, obviously a very thoughtful person. So everywhere you go, you find, we find uh, very thoughtful and sensitive people. In the nail salon, we met a, a couple that were, or I don't know if they were a couple or not, but they were definitely teamed up in there. They're from Vietnam. Very upwardly mobile, um, the Vietnamese, and also really good-hearted. And they also have a sense of worshipping the Supreme. In their nail salons, they always have a little shrine with Buddha and everything like that. So I love vi vi visiting uh, these uh, Vietnam visit villages, but we only found the one nail shop and we went in and offered our respects to the Buddha and they came over to find out what we were sharing and they were really thrilled to have uh, a um, Bhagavad Gita in their shop. And then we told them about the Mahamantra. And at first they were a little hesitant because it's a little hard because uh, every, not every dialogue, dialect matches up, you know, with the syllables of that we pronounce the Sanskrit language in. And so um, I was really touched when they we showed them the I showed them the ma mantra and it said, "Here's how to say the mantra. It's a prayer that's meant to wake up love for God in your heart. Would you like to try it?" And at first they were a little hesitant. I said, "Yeah, go ahead." And I said, "Hare Krishna." Hare Krishna. But they couldn't say it the first time, so I said it again. Try it again. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. And, and the woman, she had especially uh, strong Vietnamese accent, so when she was pronouncing it, you know, did you hear that? It was kind of, and, and I was feeling uh, so blessed to, to listen to somebody so sincerely trying, you know, to pronounce the syllables. It made me uh, feel... Um, you know, more inspired to, to do it myself with great gusto. Anyway, they chanted the whole Maha Mantra. And these words in the mantra, the word Hare, it comes from the word Hari. Hari means the one who takes away all our miseries. Who would like to sign up for that? And someone came and said, I'll take care of all your problems. I'll deal with it. And then you'll start thinking like, yeah, right. <laughs> But if, at least in theory, if you accept there is a supreme who's omniscient, omnipotent, who says, I'll take care of all your problems, then you might develop this sense that I think I should definitely try for this. So Hari, Hari means one who removes all your problems, all your obstacles, the problem, the burden of material life. And Krishna, Krishna means the ultimate source of all beauty that attracts us and draws us in. And I would argue that human beings can't survive without beauty. I mean, even in places where there's no uh, architecture, everything's built for expediency or profit, the human spirit feels <coughs> depressed. Box doors, no consideration about uh, beauty or art, uh, and placement of parks, uh, green spaces. Uh, people start to, to feel oppressed. And, de and depressed and when people are locked into such places it's hard for them to survive so we're looking for beauty in the aesthetic sense and that means Krishna is the source of 
of that uh, oxygen of beauty that attracts us inextricably. And then Rama means the highest spiritual happiness, which is, conquers our, our heart and um, makes us attached to the, the life of inner work, because Rama means uh, spiritual pleasure, uh, by which we get a higher taste. So how about if we chant the Maha Mantra together for a while and just try to enter into the vibration? Does that sound like a, a good idea? Yes. Okay, let's try it. Who remembers the, the term japa? Japa. So actually, japa, ja means birth and pa means sin and whatever binds us to this material world. So by the process of Chanting japa, one removes all obstacles, including death. And so the japa practice is something that you can start as a home practice. When you get your own home practice, then it starts becoming <coughs> systemic in your life. That is, the, the presence of Krishna. Because japa now is a time when you can assess... Uh, and look into your own mind and your in intelligence and take some time to introspect within yourself. And the fact that it, it may uh, it require some struggle at first is a good thing because until we actually look, we don't notice what's going on inside. In the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna asked Krishna, what is the symptom of somebody who's fixed in consciousness? And the first thing that Krishna says is prajahati adakaman sarvan partamanogatan atman yevatmanatushta stita pragnasta dochate. And that is that a person who's fixed in consciousness is one who can withdraw his or her senses from the unnecessary necessities created by the mind. And he says manogatan, the mind is like a factory. It's constantly producing unnecessary necessities. And they're coming out on a, as on a conveyor belt. And one after another, they're attracting our attention away from our focus on the Atma, or the Self, and the Super-Self that resides within. So Krishna says, one who is not distracted by these mental by this mental factory. And Atman Yevatmana Tushta, everyone say Tushta. Tushta means satisfaction. And one who's able to find satisfaction within the self, this is a person fixed in consciousness. Because then one's not dependent on any external cause for happiness. Already, the self, which is a part and parcel of the Supreme, is complete, especially when it's aware of itself and its relationship with the Supreme Spirit. And when one experiences that kind of satisfaction, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, one notices that there is no greater gain. Whereas through external happiness, he says, I'm getting and then I'm lamenting that I'm losing it. Because my interaction with the external world has a beginning and an end. Antavanta. It begins and then it ends. And therefore I'm always frustrated by it. Interestingly enough, and we do a seminar called Frustration, the Door to Enlightenment. 
Srila <laughs> Prabhupada mentions that you should notice your own frustration with your life situation. Anyone? Anyone? Um, because the fact is that we're incompatible with the world. We refers to the spiritual soul within the body, called the Atma, is superior nature. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna defines the lower nature. He says, Bhumir apo nalovayu kamano evacha ahankara etiyame bina prakritir ashtada. This body and mind is made of earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. And then besides that, there is us who are within this matter and we're the superior energy. The soul, the consciousness is categorically different from the energy that makes up this body. It is never diminished. It's never extinguished. It doesn't... Um, it does, it's not enervating. It doesn't uh, lose energy. It's always the same. But when I identify myself with the body, then I become disturbed. Just like if we're sitting here now, and we hear the, uh, there's a car outside that's blocking the sidewalk. And then, let's just say it was a completely different scenario, and the, the neighbor was angry and intoxicated, and started taking a, a baseball bat to the car. And then you remember that you just parked your car in that driveway. Right? Did you? <laughs> and so, let's say your car is there and, and you hear it being pulverized outside by an angry neighbor. And that's, you know, it's brand new and you just, and you, you were going to get insurance today, but you didn't. Actually, it's not even your car. You borrowed it from your uncle who's visiting from out of town. And he doesn't have insurance either. Now, let's just say that you're sitting here, but you, you, you hear that sound outside, and, you, and you, you're able to discern that's your car. Who would like to volunteer that that's your car? Yes, okay, Travis. So now how does Travis feel when he hears it? Sick. Sick means give me some symptoms, actual physical symptoms. High blood pressure. Yes? Nauseated. Sweat? Mad. Mad. Anger, but how does it feel? What's the visceral reaction? Shaking. Shaking. Heart palpitates. Perspiration comes, right? Yes. So Travis runs to the door, he flings open the thing, and he looks out there and he finds out it's not his car. What is your name? Alex. And he finds out it's Alex's car. <laughs> now, how does, how does Travis feel? If he's an ordinary person, <laughs> he's relieved, the heartbeat goes back down again, the perspiration stops, and he starts feeling joyful. And how does Alex feel? Perspiration. They just change places. Now, the fact is, if we want to look at it philosophically, and most people do when their car gets hit at, at any time. It's a, a philosophy comes out, because what else can you do? Your car gets hit, and somebody says, well, it's just a car. That's philosophy. So there are many cars out there right now, and uh, they're all made of metal and glass and I don't know what else, actually. Plastic. Plastic. Fiberglass. 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 Okay. Then 
they're all over Delaware right now, and there's cars getting smashed right now, I guarantee you, in Dover. But we don't care, because we're not connected to them. And similarly, there's bodies all over the universe too, many bodies even in this room. But I'm concerned with this body because I have a connection to it. This is called a Sangha. I'm, I've made a connection to this body. I'm not the body. I'm actually the spiritual Sita. Jayato Vishayam Pum Sam Sanghas Teshu Pajayate. The way we look at the world and consider things to be mine. For instance, I'll look out and I say, my car. Now, he says, I have a Sangha. I have a connection to it because no longer is it just a car made of glass and wood. No wood. Well, maybe if it's a fancy car, there's some on the dashboard. Uh, wood and metal. And then now it becomes my car and I have a Sangha with that. I have a connection. That's a burden for me. So similarly, this body is not me, but I look at it and I say, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a cat, I'm a dog, I'm a Delawarean. Yeah. No? Yes. It's a Delawarean or a Californian. And I identify, what about sports teams? Has anybody ever um, identified with a sports team? Not any of you, I'm saying, but any, anybody anywhere? Yes. Yeah, all the time. How do they feel about when their team loses? And what do they what do they say? We lost, we lost and they didn't lose any. They didn't even play. They just identified with it. They didn't even have. You don't even have to. You're not obligated to. Nobody said. Nobody wrote a law that says if you live in the state of California, you have to root for such and such a team or Delaware. I don't know if you have any teams over here. We don't. I saw Philadelphia Eagles signs up. The, the, you know, the, nobody says you have to, like, but it's, it's our nature to identify with something and then say, this is mine. So th this is kind of a kind of a mental construct. And th there's, a, there's a way in which, um, through this kind of identification with the body, then I become a citizen of this world. I become part of this world, and all the changes that go on in this world become my life situation. But there's a big difference between my life which is me, which is eternal, which is just passing through this world and temporary and turn it into something very, very valuable. Just like if somebody gives you a temporary thing like a flower and it's going to, pretty soon it will be valueless because it will become uh, dried up and useless. But while it's fresh, you use that flower and uh, let's just say you start a flower company and that's your first cop flower and then you sell the flower, and then you invest in more flowers, and you turn into a you turn into a flower tycoon, because you're able to take one temporary thing and turn it into something valuable. So this body is a nityam; it's temporary, but if you use it for the proper purpose, you come to the highest level. So <coughs> the Vedas explain that there are various uh, experiences as souls that we have in this material world, and the lowest of them is is called covered consciousness. And we see within the plants, the plants and trees here in Delaware, the exhibition of covered consciousness. Plants are alive. They're actually living beings, but their consciousness is extremely covered. Next to plants, in fact, they feel for their young. They cry when they're separated. They feel pain. They, uh, they can reason about certain things, like where's the best place to live, not in the sun, over here. They can make little homes for themselves. They know how, at least the squirrels that live around our house, they're living the life of Riley out there. They eat uh, plums in the summer, and they eat uh, persimmons in the winter, and uh, they don't pay any rent. Not that I mind so much. 
Um, they're, they're intelligent, but they're not intelligent enough, for instance, the dogs in Milton, when they run down the street, if there is, there are, there's a downtown Milton, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it have fire hydrants? Oh, yeah. If they run down the street in Milton and they see fire hydrants, they don't reason, well, that's a very good place to put a, put a fire hydrant in case there's a fire. They just notice that it's a fire hydrant and maybe they'll have a different idea about it. <laughs> and, and above, above covered consciousness is called budding consciousness. And that is the consciousness of humans. Now, the Vedas say humans are special because they're given special facility and a kind of intelligence that in, can inquire about uh, what is death, what is the supreme, what is my purpose in life, and what is my origin. In fact, human beings are always looking for their origin. That's why we spend billions and trillions of dollars going off into space to try to find some little clue, where did I come from? Or to the bottom of the ocean, we go and... I mean, it's not necessarily rational, but it's an urge that we have, and it's the urge of the human intelligence. This is called budding consciousness. But flowering consciousness, when the consciousness blooms, this is called humans with sadhana. When humans have a spiritual practice, then that potential, which is uh, the bud of consciousness, it expands and it blooms. So sadhana means a daily spiritual practice through which you open your consciousness to the spiritual world. And the, the sadhana will determine the sadhya. What did I just say? The sadhana is the practice and the sadhya is the goal. So in the practice of bhakti, the main sadhana is chanting. And we just chanted for a little while. And then there's another home practice that you can do, which is called japa. And japa means to count how many mantras you're chanting and listen very carefully as a kind of meditation on the Supreme. And I'll teach you a way that you can chant your japa if you hold up your right hand and you put your thumb on the middle section of your ring finger and say, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. That's Hare Krishna 1. Say that. Now move it to the bottom of your ring finger. Say Hare Krishna 2. Bottom of your little finger, over here, say Hare Krishna 3. Middle of your little finger, say Hare Krishna 4. Top of your little finger, say Hare Krishna 5. Top of your ring finger, say Hare Krishna 6. Top of your middle finger, say Hare Krishna 7. Top of your index finger, say Hare Krishna 8. Middle of your index finger, say Hare Krishna 9. Bottom of your index finger, say Hare Krishna 10. And now we'll try it together. Krishna 1, Krishna 2, Krishna 3, Krishna 4, Krishna 5, Krishna 6, Krishna 7, Krishna 8, Krishna 9, Krishna 10. One more time. Krishna 1, Krishna 2, Krishna 3, Krishna 4, Krishna 5, Krishna 6, Krishna 7, Krishna 8, Krishna 9, Krishna 10. So... If you've ever wondered what those little spaces were for on the million finger, they're for japa. And now you don't need any extra... Par- Pardon? That's how I do it in the car. That's how you do it in the car. So this means that you can chant... You can count and chant japa unless you want to buy a clicker that counts up. We do have 
those little hand counters. Sometimes I use them on the airplane, and people say, what are, you, what are you counting? And I say, I'm counting my blessings. They say, let me see how many you have. 500, that's pretty good. <laughs> so japa means, first of all, it helps if you start chanting japa when you're sitting. It doesn't mean you can't stand up and walk sometimes when you chant, but if you start when you're sitting, then you can notice something, and that is whether you can sit or not. And this is another question that Arjuna asked Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. How does a person situated in higher consciousness sit? And the question is, can you sit? Because it's not so easy just to sit by yourself and introspect, because the mind might say, why don't you get back up again and do something? Like sometimes in the old days, kids would be sitting around and mothers would say, don't just sit there, do something. And there's a book out that's called Don't Just do something, sit there. <laughs> so when you're sitting and you chant japa than you were the minute before, then suddenly your mind comes to attention. And this is just like if you ever go for an interview, for a job, anyone, anyone? Yeah. And let's just say you go for the interview of the job and you sit like this. <laughs> and where are you from? Oh yeah, Dover. No. <laughs> so it's a, it's a phenomenon that when you straighten your spine, then the whole mental system says, oh, something important's happening. And even you project it outward to other people. If you're sitting talking to somebody and you sit a little straighter, they'll say, what, what just happened? What are you going to tell me? What happened? So that's a trick yogis use. They make their spine a little straighter and everything comes to attention. And, and the next one is that when you're chanting, you just be careful to notice the syllables in the mantra and pronounce them. Use your tongue and I'll teach you a very important verse from the Vedas, which says, Atashi Krishna Namadi Nabhaved Grayamindri Sevan Mukihi Jivado Swayameva Spuratyada. This is a remarkable verse. It says, and this is from an authorized yoga scripture, yoga begins with the tongue. When you use your tongue to chant the mantra, this is the beginning of yoga, and when you do it properly, then all the other <coughs> aspects of refinement and advancement in yoga will manifest in your life by using your tongue. And w the way it says you're using your tongue is for seva. Everyone seva. Say seva. Seva, seva means service. Sorry. You're serving the supreme with your tongue. Now that's another thing that's unique to humans because there's a lot of other living entities here in Delaware that have tongues that aren't humans. Like which ones? Dogs have tongues. Cats have tongues. What? Cows have tongues. Chickens have tongues. Snakes, horses, frogs, foxes, guinea pigs. Think of all those little tongues. But they can't chant Hare Krishna. Hamsters don't chant. You can make a bumper sticker that says hamsters don't chant. Hamsters don't chant because they don't have the wherewithal to do that, but human beings can chant. Therefore, when you deliberately use your tongue for not repeating what you heard on CNN, but instead you repeat the names of God, this is called seva. And when you do seva, then it attracts to you the, the attention of God. This is what the verse says. God will want to come see you because of the way that you're serving him through the chanting process exactly what the verse says, how yoga begins through the tongue. So now, if you take a little time, you'll find 
a delightfully aesthetic experience, sitting with yourself, by yourself, and chanting the names of God and just concentrating on your feeling of helplessness that I described earlier. And just listen to the syllables and let your tongue do the work. And then the third thing is to use the sense of prayer. Like, um, have you ever uh, just in a, spontaneously, when you felt really uh, a dangerous situation in your life, have you ever prayed and said, please help me? Well, this is something that is uh, universally applicable because there's a, a higher power in our life. And if we call out, even if we don't know what that is, we haven't named it yet. But there's a phenomena that's described in the ancient wisdom literatures that if you sincerely call out in a prayerful way, then your prayers will be answered. And it depends on the quality of your prayer, uh, whether they're answered or not. And I'll give you an example. Have you ever given to somebody who's begging for something? And um, why did you give? Yes. Now, what if you saw somebody who was begging and you, f you saw that they were cheating? They were actually like... Smoking I, cigarettes. Well, smoking cigarettes or something else like... That you, you've discerned that there was some insincerity in the process. Yeah. Would you give? No. But if you saw somebody really in dire need, mm -hmm. like somebody who's begging, but you, you verified that they really need it, they're really hurting and they have to have it, uh, and then there's somebody else next to them who's cheating, which one do you give to first? Yes, the honest one. So the point is, if you have a sincere desire, like I need help, and you're begging, Please help me. That's who gets the attention first. So this is the mood or the attitude of doing japa. And it's very satisfying. So let's try this process of japa by doing 10 mantras together. Let's make it 20 because this group is so advanced. We'll do 10, 20 <coughs> mantras together in unison, counting on our fingers. And when you get to number 20, the ma mantra then just stop and feel how the sound vibration has entered your ears. Feel any kind of experience of the vibration that you can uh, see. And we'll take a few reflections just afterwards. Yes, please. That's precarious. I'll put it near you. Okay. So, put your fingers on position number one. And um, how is the uh, temperature and air level in here for you? Warm. Could we, could we crack the... We can turn the fan on. We can turn the fan on. Whatever you want to adjust. Because also for meditation and japa, it's helpful if your brain gets a little oxygen. We've got nothing against air here, right? No moratorium on air. Okay, so has everyone tried the trick of sitting up straighter? Did you notice that your mind comes to attention? So you can try that when you chant japa. And then pronounce the mantra and just listen to the sound. And when your mind runs away, and it will, because that's what happens, the mind runs off, it'll go away to... Uh, Rancho Cucamonga in Los Angeles, near Los Angeles, then just gently bring it back to the syllables of the mantra and keep listening. That's meditation. Okay. 
Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. In Golden Gate Park, I was helping set up a festival and I didn't wear a hat because it was so cloudy and foggy and the next day I had a severe sunburn and I looked up online talked about ultraviolet rays coming through the clouds even when we chant and we don't feel like we're making direct connection even the indirect connection with the our supreme divine source Krishna the supreme personality of Godhead comes through when we chant his name and the effects of the rays of, of the transcendental vibration of the name has a nourishing spiritual effect on every part of our life and body. So now, um, now 
We have a few minutes for some uh, questions. Yes, please. Why do we count? The, the reason we count the japa, it's called, in yoga text, it's called Sankhya And this is what's called numerical strength. So one of the ways in which uh, the practice is described as a, called yoga balain. And so counting is important because our, our main, our nemesis in practicing yoga at first is our mind. And the mind is whimsical, and one day we'll say, let's do it, and the next day, let's not do it. Just like sometimes the mind says, uh, I love this person, and then uh, a little while later says, I hate you. It, the mind fluctuates. It's called... Okay, go ahead. You can try. <laughs> Pardon? No, there are questions. It just takes a little while for them to percolate. Questions are harder than reflections, but they're very, very powerful. When you ask a question, yes, Travis. Here comes the microphone. Hare Krishna. I was hoping that you could speak um, about seva and about seva and suffering and seva and bliss. Sure. Well, let me teach you a phrase. Does everybody remember what seva means? Service. Service, service. yeah. And specifically in this context, we're talking about divine service. And here's a nice phrase. Your seva will save you. <laughs> because as uh, described by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, each one of us has a, a hankering for service. We're all doing service one way or another. It's our... It's our eternal nature to do service. In fact, when we do selfless service, our consciousness expands. Uh, we become bigger. When you, when you do selfless service, you feel natural satisfaction in yourself. And when you do service for the Supreme, then you feel the ultimate satisfaction. So this is called seva. And the, the cause of suffering, actually, is being disconnected from our seva, or uh, giving our seva, our service, to an inferior cause. Like, oftentimes people are serving, but they're serving for something which is, has a, a material motive. And in which case, there's no satisfaction. In fact, there's a sense of frustration and suffering from being engaged in some kind of service in which one's serving, for instance, the senses. This is one of the ways in which the, the great teachers of yoga describe how we serve. The senses are what's called, in their condition state, bad masters. They demand all kinds of things from us. And one poet uh, once wrote about this in Sanskrit. He said, Kamadinam katina katita palita durnideshas tesham jatamayina karuna natrapano pashanti and he was questioning himself. He said, for how long and how many ways have I been serving the bad masters of my senses? They never gave me time off. 
They never gave me mercy. And I never questioned them. Whatever they said, I just followed. For instance, have you ever been walking past the refrigerator and you hear that gallon of vegan ice cream calling to you? And then the spoon is calling from the cupboard. And next thing you know, your beginning of the year diet is finished because you're sitting somewhere in the dark corner and you just <laughs> ate a gallon of ice cream. <laughs> like, who told you to do that? So the senses are constantly, we're under the tyrannical rule of the senses and the mind, and we're serving them. But this poet then says, no more. Now I've awakened. Love the booty means I've gained my higher intelligence, and now I'm changing my service. I want to serve Krishna instead. And when we serve Krishna, then the service becomes, it connects us and it, and it gives us complete satisfaction. There's all different kinds of ways to serve. You know, in our restaurant in St. Louis many years ago, I lived in St. Louis for a couple of years. We had a, a Govinda's restaurant. And there, uh, <clears throat> there was a sign there that said, see, the process of, of bhakti starts with shravanam kirtanam, which means hearing and chanting. And so the, the owner of the restaurant, a devotee, put in there a sign that says, so if you can't, so you can do shravanam kirtanam or sweepanam mapanam. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to serve. So even, even this simple service, like sweeping the floor of, you know, uh, you know the place where all the devotees are doing their, their kirtan or, you know, cooking or cleaning, and, and uh, taking care of devotees. This is all call, called divine service, and it gives spiritual advancement. And it's very practical because the senses want to do something. We want to be engaged, and if we engage in selfless service, then we naturally feel happy. Our consciousness expands, and, and we feel satisfaction. Is that what you meant? So your seva will save you. We'll just take a couple more questions. One thing about when we have these discussions is when the more questions you go away with, the better it is. Because it means that when you have good questions from, from, um, from the discussion, it means you've, you're in a ready state to pull in the answers from, from um, your environment and from within and from reading Bhagavad Gita and so forth. So it's helpful if you're crazy. And don't be afraid to ask a bad question because I did find I have $100 in my pocket. Yes? When you chant, do you sometimes try to visualize something? Like a BD or Prabhupada or... Well, oftentimes when I chant, I had read years ago from Gorkishore Das Babaji, who's one of the teachers of bhakti in our line several generations ago. He wrote about how if one envisions the syllables of the mantra as one's chanting, as you're chanting, you actually fix your minds on the syllables and you see the syllables as you chant, or you physically look at the syllables. I think there's one above me because a lot of devotees were looking this way, right? If you watch the syllables when you're chanting japa, and again and again you fix the eyes, that's another way that you can meditate. And sometimes I do that in my mind when I'm chanting, and I look at the syllables, because I always found them to be unusually beautiful. I remember when I first joined the temple in San Francisco and uh, 
there was a sign, you know, that said the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra on it. And I used to sit there and look at it and just think, what are these syllables? How come I'm so, I'm so attracted to them? And they're really beautiful. And then I found out later that some of the great teachers <coughs> talked about this, how you can look at the syllables and meditate on them as you chant. How about one more question? Yes. So I'm kind of new to all this. We have the four rules that, like, being a vegetarian and all that. Yeah. So, uh, what if we we practice but we're not like a vegetarian? Like, what's uh? Well, the there's two main rules. I mean, there's hundreds, there's hundreds of rules you'll find, like in any, in any. Um, spiritual practice or you know religious tradition you're going to find all kinds of rules and regulations do this don't do that right mm -hmm. and so then the great teachers of bhakti have said there's only two main rules and those are always remember krishna and never forget krishna and all the other rules and regulations are servants of those two rules so the the way that the our <coughs> teacher who founded this Hare Krishna movement, started the movement, was he didn't tell anybody to stop anything. He just told them to start something else, uh, which was especially a chanting Hare Krishna. And because that's the main way that one comes in contact with Krishna through this process. And he, it was based on a verse written by a great teacher named Rupa Goswami, Yenatena Pakarena, Manak Krishna Naveshayat. So first of all, just fix your mind on Krishna. In fact, um, the, the, the boys at that time didn't even know that they were in these four rules. They just knew to chant Hare Krishna to start, to start with. Later on, he introduced them because once you start getting a taste for chanting, you, you'll want to deepen it. and It'll be, be more meaningful to you. And then you'll start to look for ways to, to uh, clarify and refine your, process, your, your practice. And then, you know, just like in any discipline, a good teacher will tell you, well, here's some, a few adjustments you can make in your life if you want to go deeper into the practice. Like even, in, like say, in an athletic discipline, then people, they'd start telling you, you know, like, don't eat pizza the night before you go to the, the to the, uh, you know, yeah, the big game. You're going to wrestle tomorrow. <laughs> don't eat five pizzas with chilies and stuff like that. Uh, it, and there are some prohibitions because they become the framework that help you. And the way Krishna describes it in the Bhagavad Gita, he says, Raga dvesha vimuktaistu vishayan indriyaischaran amavasheravadheya He calls these uh, extra rules that you're talking about that they're, um, they're regulative principles of freedom. And it's, a, it's almost counterintuitive, but Eric Fromm, the philosopher, once said that there's two ways of freedom. He said there's freedom to and freedom from. Mm. So I want to be free to do whatever, you know, this and that and move about the world, especially prevalent. When I was growing up in the 60s, there was an idea like, you know, it was a romantic idea, like let's be free to be ourselves <laughs> and to do whatever we want. But then, of course, you know, in my area, in the Haight-Ashbury, the experiment didn't work out too well. <laughs> because people became really addicted to a lot of the things they felt free to do. And they became prisoners to it. And however, there's freedom from. And when we practice some of these restraints, after we start to 
develop a taste for practicing Krishna consciousness, they're actually um, the framework through which we can go deeper into the practice. And, and it starts to help us. And it's not just prohibitions for the sake of prohibitions. Um, so that was the, the way that our founder started this movement. It's just in, in fact, there's a story of, of uh, one of our early members who was addicted to smoking, smoking Paul Malls. I don't know if those are still around. But they are. They are? are? Paul Mall. <laughs> oh, joy. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. He was asked to carve one of the deities. He was an expert carver, so Prabhupada asked him to carve you know, one of the deities of Krishna that would go on the altar. And when Prabhupada went up to see his work on the roof, he had his chisels out and stuff. And he had his pack of palm moles right on the, on the top of the, the figure that he was carving, you know, a divine figure. So Prabhupada saw it, and he just kind of flicked it off. And he said, and, and the devotee said, oh, bad habit, I'm sorry. And Prabhupada said, just smoke one fewer every day and kind of encourage him like that. But he didn't come on strong. And Actually, we don't go out in the street and tell people, follow four regular principles. You've got to stop eating meat and stuff like that. Uh, no, no, we just say chant Hare Krishna. Mm -hmm. Because when you start doing that, then there will be a, a, a systemic change in your own heart. And you'll look for ways that, how can I get more support in my practice? So those are for when people start to make a little more advanced, but the first thing rule to follow is somehow or other, fix your mind on Krishna. Yeah. Sorry I couldn't give you the hundred. It was a good question. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. In the string of prayers? That's what's above yeah. you. Okay. All right, so. Sorry, I switched the screen for you. Okay, thank you. Where's Bhakti Scott right now? What do you want me to do? Okay, I want to just do a little kirtan. One more little kirtan, and then the, the devo everyone's here is used to singing these complicated prayers. Okay. They're pretty complicated. All right, we'll, we'll try them. But first, let's chant a little more Hare Krishna, because we've been talking about it so much. And um, we don't want anybody asking for their money back. Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, hey, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman.